This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. You're listening to The Church Boys Free Fall Q&A. Well, thank you so much for coming down today. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So I'm, I'm interested in stories of people who have sort of those pivot points, right, where something happens and they change, it changes their life for whatever reason. And I think for Christians, every Christian is familiar with that because it's happened in their own life at some point, um, for the vast majority of Christians at least. So tell me for you what it was that motivated you to write the comeback. Well, I think it was two things primarily. One, I'm a pastor, and pastors have a privilege, and I use that word very intentionally. Pastors have the privilege of being invited into people's pain. And when a spouse is dying of cancer or a child is killed tragically in an automobile accident, people lean on their pastor. When marriages are crashing and um, darkness falls, people tell their story to their pastor and so you walk through a lot of darkness with people. You walk through the depths with people. That shapes your heart, and it makes you want to lean into the message of the gospel, which is the greatest story of comeback. Of is, that, is that hard for you? You know, Not to interject, but you, know, you hear a lot of stories, and you see polls about pastors who say that they get depressed sometimes, and it's hard. What's it like to carry the weight of everybody else's story? Well, it's the unsung, you know, Weight is the right word of being a shepherd and a pastor of people because you you want to be humble and you want to be private and a lot of the things that people tell you you can't uh, you don't want to tell and you don't really have the liberty to even tell you want, don't even want to go home and tell your spouse sometimes and so you have to continually take that to God and say okay um, they told me but I'm not the savior I'm not God I'm not going to be able to change this circumstance I'm just a physical representation of you in this place, in this moment. So I'm asking them to lean on you. I have to do the same thing. And if I'm not constantly taking my own advice, which if you came to me and said, Louis, here's my dilemma, I would say you need to look to Jesus. You need to look to truth. You need to look to God in this moment. I have to take that advice too when I walk out the door and not start uh, creating some sort of a savior complex. And I think sometimes a lot of people want to create a savior complex but I don't, and if anybody who does, at the end of the day, they're going to have to be able to put the weight of the world on their shoulders, and the human frame was not meant to carry the weight of the world. Yeah, yeah, especially, I mean, when you have people coming in all the time and sharing these things with you, some of it's so heavy, I would imagine, that you have to keep that mindset to avoid feeling the weight of the world on your shoulders. When you were putting the book together, how did you pick people to speak with? Well, the book really is uh, the offshoot of uh, some messages we did at our church, Passion City Church in Atlanta. And we have real people sitting there every single week. And the way I like to say it, people, everyone listening to this right now is either in a storm, they've just come out of a storm. See, some people just nodded just then. They're like, that's us. We just got clear a clear report from the doctors. We have just uh, you know, been able to get on our feet financially. Everybody's either in a storm, they're coming through a storm. I hate to say it, or they're headed into a yeah. storm. And so when I look out across the people at our church, that's who's there. And so the people represented in this book are people I know, and I've been in their stories with them. And they're real people. Dana, who's in this book, he lost 16 years of his life to drugs and alcohol. I wasn't in that part of the story, but he had a wake-up call. His friends dumped him out at a hospital emergency room, out of the car, and drove off. They thought he was dead. 
And they pushed him out of the car, slammed the door, drove off. Nurses came out on the sidewalk. Turns out he survived. God really found him in that bottom moment and changed his world. He is a pastor at our church now. Oh, wow. So all these years later, that's not like a two-week turn. Right, right. But, and so there's Dana. And so he shares his story. And other people in our church share their stories. And I share some of my stories. And everybody has one if they're willing to be honest, vulnerable, and open their heart. You know, one of the things, as, I mean, I, I've been a Christian my whole life, so I always try to put my mind in sort of the mind of an atheist. Like, what, what is it like to be an atheist and to not and to not believe? And it's hard to do that when you believe. I mean, you have those moments where you doubt and all that, but to really think, gosh, there's nothing. There's nothing beyond this. To me, is sort of, I can't comprehend it. Um, but you hear these stories, like what you just shared, and I mean, millions of stories out there. Why do you think so many people still have a hard time with belief in light of, I mean, what else could possibly change somebody's life in that way? Well, you know, it's a, it's a theological answer, and it kind of sounds like the typical what you would expect, maybe, but the reason a lot of people don't believe is because we are not making our decisions in a vacuum. We are not just on earth, independent, deciding what we believe. Um, I believe that we're living in a spiritual battle climate. This is what Scripture teaches. And so if there is a deceiver, if there is an enemy... If there is someone who wants to rob us from our God-given potential on whatever level that might be, the way Scripture says it is is that he blinds the eyes of the unbeliever. And so that sounds very um, offensive, and it sounds like a, you know we're really trying to you know, pre- be pejorative towards people who don't believe, which we're not. Um, but people have to realize they're not making up their mind in a vacuum. But they're being influenced by power in the same way that God helped me believe. Um, there's also uh, an enemy trying to keep people from believing. And I think that that power must be strong and real because when you look up at the sky at night, it's hard not to wonder and be in awe that someone great has orchestrated this world that we live in. Yeah, it's just hard to think otherwise. I mean, that's sort of, it, it's funny, I was taking pictures last night, you know, where we live, you could see you know, some mountains and stuff, and taking pictures of it and thinking, how do people not, you see all this stuff, how do you not believe? Um, you know, getting back to the to the comeback, what is, and this is sort of a loaded question that you probably, it'll probably be tough to answer, but was there one story that resonated more with you in putting the book together than any other story, and if so, what was that? Well, there was, and it's the opening story, and it's the story of 2008, the fall, when I went to bed one night like I had done my entire life of 50 years, but I woke up at 2 o'clock in the morning thinking that was going to be my last night. I thought I was dying right there on the spot, and that was the first step down a very slippery and quick slope into a pit, um, which you can label anxiety, depression, fear, worry, all of it stemming out of depression and I spent about four months of my life in a tunnel of darkness and I was I thought I was going insane I I literally thought I was going insane I went to 15 doctors to have everything possibly checked out that you can have checked out my mind shut down I had what we would call in the old days a nervous breakdown and it took me months to reset and to start slowly walking back into the light. And, you know, Billy, in that zone, if you had said to me in, in October of 2008, in 2015, you're going to be sitting at a table in 
doing an interview for an online media outlet, I would have looked at you and said, you are, you are crazy. Because that's how far down in the darkness I was. But God met me down at the very, very bottom of that desperation. Doctors helped me also. And my wife was amazing. But God met me at the bottom of that, and he slowly led me back to the light. And I am living as a normal person today, exercising the gifts that God has given me to try to help and encourage people. And that's the story I opened the book with, because come on, what spiritual leader, perceived or not, is going to stand up and tell the world that I cratered and cracked and fell in a hole? And I don't know how I got in it exactly, and I honestly don't know formulaically how I got out of it. Right. I just know that God led me through worship and praise step by step back into the light. And that's the basis that I open this book with. And so when people look at me, I'm not giving them advice as a pastor, like, let me help you with your comeback. I'm telling the story of my comeback and allowing these other friends of mine to tell the story of theirs. This is a book of real stories. They're not all neat and tidy. They don't all have a bow on the end of them. A lot of them are still in process. Courtney, uh, who shares her story so graciously in this book, lost her husband three years ago, the day before Thanksgiving. He went out on a bike ride, and she got the call no one wants to get. Before she got to the hospital, she got the call that changed her life. And there's not going to be a bow on that story. Her kids are going to live without their dad for the rest of their life, but God is still in the story. And three years later, Courtney would tell you, and she says this in the book, God is in the equation, and that is a powerful miracle in and of itself. How, for, for you, how did life, change, life and ministry change before that night in 2008 versus after? Well, 2008 was a perfect storm for me. Um, I'm going to set up now my rationalization, so let me give everybody a warning for that. We had a global economic meltdown. If you were my age demographic, that was a big deal. Yeah. Uh, my mom was uh, diagnosed with a debilitating disease that ended up taking her life. Uh, my wife's back had gone out when we were in Sydney, Australia, after a 17-city, 16-country world tour with passion. We couldn't leave Australia for a week because she couldn't literally get off the floor. Um, we were planning a church, and I learned that's a whole different ballgame. And all those things rolling together sort of were the breaking point for me. And so I've had to learn how to uh, take life at a different speed. I've had to learn to pay more attention to the warning signs and to put the brakes on a lot faster to, to be more sensitive to my frailty. And honestly, walking forward, um, I have, I have a, a thorn. You know, Scripture talks about that thorn in the flesh that uh, kept Paul weak. And in that he said, in my weakness, your grace is perfected in me. Well, I, when you have a breakdown like I did, you don't just fully honestly get over it. And so I'm not offering in this book that, hey, I am, I am just happy as a lark and I will <laughs> never have anxiety again. That cloud that was over me for four months isn't over me now, praise God. But it is somewhere like, you know, I'm, we're near Bryant Park right now. It, it's somewhere like Brooklyn. And when it starts moving toward me, I, I can identify it more now. I know what it is. I know when, the, those first four months, I didn't have a clue what was happening. And I didn't know what happened to a hundred other people that I know it's happened to now because they've told me their story. But it's, it keeps me in touch with my frailty, with my humanness, and it keeps me dependent on God. And I think it's always, I think it's always going to be woven into the fabric of my life from here forward. I'm still, I still want to go hard at life, but 
you know, I understand that any day now, you know, if I don't listen to God, that I could end up back in that place again. I mean, considering your schedule, the things you're doing, I mean, passion, everything that, that's going on, that's, it's a smart way to live, especially after an experience like like that. Was it hard for you? And it shouldn't have been, but I think most people, when they go through that and they're in the position you're in, and you sort of hinted at this, it's like, oh, well, gosh, now what are people going to think? Or how are they going to think about me as a leader and, and all that? How did you get over that? You know what? I, I, I had no choice but to be what it was to let it be what it was. One night, my wife and I were driving to a small group meeting at our church. We were meeting in homes back then, like 20 people. And it was, was like the fourth one. And we were driving there, and people knew something was going on with Louie, but we hadn't really, didn't, everybody didn't know exactly what it was. And Shelly said, do you think you can make it to this thing tonight? And I'm like, no, but let's try it. She drives. As we're riding to this place, I'm literally trembling. I'm shaking. And I think I can either say, tell them I don't feel well, we're going to head home, I bail out, or I can just take it straight on. I walked into these people's living room among my friends. I sat down. I'll never forget it. And I said, I want you to look at me. I'm a wreck. I'm your pastor. And I am falling apart. And I didn't want to say that. I don't want to be that guy. I wanted to be the invincible, fearless leader. Um, but but that wasn't the reality. And so I that night I said that. Amazingly, Chris Tomlin was in that room. And he said, you're not going to believe this, but I, I was visiting this church Sunday because we weren't meeting on Sundays at the time. And he said, and so I went to this church. A friend told me I should go. This guy preached through the book of Isaiah. He must have quoted 70 verses in Isaiah. The one that really hit me was this one. And he stood up and he read from Isaiah chapter 26. And he talked about the cornerstone and how whoever hopes in him will not be shaken. And it became an anchor for me, even in that night. And then later, Chris and I went on a tour together. That, um, this, um, I, I'm not sure which album it was for him. It, for me, it was the talk called Symphony. And we went to 70 cities in America, basketball arenas, hockey arenas, big venues. And I stood up every night and told this story because I wanted people to see a guy on the stage talking about what we all know is real off the stage. And I wanted to try to break that barrier for people and say, look, just because people are up on a stage or are pastors or leaders, they're not impervious to humanity. And I don't like talking about it. I preached about it at church on Sunday as we released the book there. It, no man loves standing up in front of people and saying, yeah. I am weak. Right. But the reality is what it is. And yeah. this deal was one of those things that was so big that I couldn't manage it. It managed me. And God was bigger than it. That's the story of the comeback. But it's God's story of grace. It's not my story of strength. Absolutely. And so transitioning, and you know, we're almost done here. You're, you're almost out of the hot seat. But one, one question about culture and where we are, and don't worry, I'm not going to ask you any hot button topics but you know culture's changing and god never changes and we know that right so with culture changing i think a lot of christians are in a weird position and they're feeling uncomfortable and they're not sure where to go or, or what to do how do christians sort of rectify i guess and and maybe that's not the right word but how do they how do they deal with the fact that culture right um is changing god doesn't and they're sort of in the middle of all of this yeah, that's a tough question. I think all of us wrestle with it. I think people historically have wrestled with it. I think even when you read the pages of the New Testament, that's what the New Testament is about, really. Um, you know, Paul's trying to help believers remember 
you're not like this, you're like this. God has changed your identity, and so walk in who you are. And that's going to be a very big challenge for us in the coming days in our world. And I think that love covers a multitude of sins. And I think that our capacity to genuinely see people and to love them with the love that we are receiving in our relationship with God on a daily basis is is powerful enough in most cases to transcend cultural gaps. Mm-hmm. And people know what's real in our world. That's one thing people know in our world because we are we have grown up as a very cynical, guarded generation. And so people have a sixth sense for what's true and what's not true. And I think that, you know, I like to just hang in there with God, you know, and I, I like to say, look, you know what, I'm a I'm a big fan of science. And so maybe there's some scientific evidence going this direction and the Bible scripture may be over here. I like to say, I'm going to respect this science, but science changes every five years. And so I'm going to hang out over here with scripture. And (laughs) until otherwise, I'm just going to hang out over here. And people say, well, that's stupid and foolish. And I say, well, come on, Uh, if you just give it enough time. Uh, this theory is going to be unraveled. It's like the coffee debate. Coffee is going to kill you one day. The next day, coffee is the best thing in the world for you. As long as well, you only if it's Einstein, cups. he's right about everything. But as it turns <laughs> out, Einstein isn't right about everything. <laughs> and so we wait long enough, and string theory actually isn't going to be the dominant conversation of the day. Um, multiverse versus universe, you know, and all of these big conundrums that we get into, these things change rapidly. And so let's don't hold up science as the the unchanging bellwether position of forever. And let's don't disparage Scripture just because it doesn't look like it matches up with the latest understanding that we have. Let's hang in there together. Let's fuel science without fear. Let's hang in there with Scripture without wavering. And, um, and let's try to love people and touch their needs with the power of prayer, care, grace, and mercy and truth. And I think if we do that, we can live together. We may not all agree. I'm pretty sure we won't. But we could live together. And this is the goal, right, of every great culture, is to celebrate diversity and to live together. And so I hope that as a believer in Jesus, a follower of God, someone who holds Scripture in a very high place in my heart, that we'll all be able to embrace the beauty of our diversity. And we'll all be able to live in a community of faith where people can respect each other. And if we strive for that, I think we'll all have a future. And if anybody gives up on that idea on either side of a cultural issue, we really don't have a future together as a nation. Well, thank you. This has been great. I appreciate you coming down today. Thanks for having me. I loved it. Church Bowl.